Attention architects and creative minds, get ready to supercharge your brand with Build Your Brand, the podcast that's unlocking the secrets of branding success for creatives. Hey there, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my friend, architect marketing expert, Jeff Eccles at Build Your Brand Podcast, where he explores the captivating stories of the world's top brands and transforms their lessons into powerful moves for small firm architects and creatives like you. In season one, Jeff shares the thrilling tale of Southwest Airlines, where he dissects their journey to the summit and distills it into strategies tailor-made for you. It's important to keep in mind that companies like Southwest compete in the real world, just like you, and face real-world challenges, just like you. You might be surprised at how similar those challenges are to the struggles that you grapple with on a day-to-day basis. Don't miss out on your blueprint for success. Subscribe, tune in, and let's build your brand together. You may have noticed that the very best brands in the world are also known for having somewhat unique corporate cultures. That's often the glue that holds everything together when they encounter those rough spots. We don't do it because it inconveniences the passengers to whom we are primarily dedicated, the short haul, uh, frequent flyer. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Your Brand today. Remember, no matter the size, the journey's the same. Your brand's journey to the top starts here. Context and Clarity has been called a community-based pro-practice masterclass for architects. It's awfully high praise, but since we began this journey back in April of 2020, we've certainly grown into a community of small firm architects, all focused on what matters most to their success. And by the way, it doesn't matter if you're the employee of a firm that's dreaming of going out on your own, or you've owned your own firm for 26 years. There's something here for everyone. And that's where you come in. Thanks for listening and welcome to the Context and Clarity Podcast. Every week, we have a conversation with an expert or a thought leader on things that matter most to the success of architects just like you. Then we go backstage with someone from our community and we talk about what we learned, what our biggest takeaways were, and how we're going to apply what we heard to our own businesses. In this episode, we talked with Alfonso Winker and Trina Olson. Alfonso and Trina are co-founders of Team Dynamic, co-hosts of the podcast Behave, and co-authors of Hiring Revolution. I think sometimes it's hard, especially when we have conversations on topics as important as those that we covered in this conversation. It's hard to know exactly where the conversation will or should go. It's hard to know what questions and comments are going to come from our live audience. Alfonso and Trina focus on workplace culture. They help organizations bring diversity, equity, and inclusion into the hiring process and hope to drive racism and sexism out of that same process. They have experience in the organizing and unionization space, which we touch on. And you may be surprised what they have to say about it as it relates to the current events in the architecture profession. And you're going to find out that they're big on personal responsibility and action that may lead to a revolution in workplace culture. Like I said, this was an important conversation, one that we needed to have, one that we need to have more of. 
We covered a lot of ground, hopefully enough for one conversation, and there will be more to follow. But for now, I really hope that this conversation has some sort of impact on the way that you think about working in architecture. Catherine McPhail joined me once again for the conversation with Alfonso Winker and Trina Olson, as well as backstage afterward. Catherine is my co-host, and she's an architect and a podcaster in Fairhaven, Massachusetts. In addition to Context and Clarity, Catherine hosts Talking Home Renovations with the House Maven, which you can find on Gable Media Network. And she's the CEO of Demios Architects. As always, I'm looking forward to talking about our takeaways from the conversation. So let's go backstage and listen in as Catherine and I talk about our conversation with Alfonso Winker and Trina Olson, co-founders, co-hosts, and co-authors of Team Dynamics, Behave, and Hiring Revolution. I think we found out from our conversation with them that uh, they're just, they're immersed in everything workplace. And it, and it, I don't think any of this really touches on everything that they do and, and but both the breadth and the depth right. of what they do. That was one of the things that really impressed me about this, you know, what, what came out of this conversation with. It seems to me that the workplace is changing or our culture is changing or what people might call politically correct, which I just call considerate. Um, the ideas of that in a workplace are are more in the forefront than they used to be, I feel like. So I kind of feel like they have this way of looking at the situation and pointing out the obvious in a way that I hadn't thought of before anyway, when I was listening to their podcast. Um, all sorts of things like what does being forced to go back to work and be in the same space as other people, what does that bring up for different people? Or what about education? And what about that is elitist and our work hours? You know, all these things that when people point them out, I feel like, oh, well, yeah, that makes sense. So I feel like their job is to bring awareness for the issues of people who are typically marginalized into workplace discussion. So I, I don't know, it's pretty it was pretty interesting to me. I think that's a good way to put it. I mean, at one point, Trina said um, something along the lines that the um, culture and workplaces is is not static. I'm not exactly sure if that's how she said it, but it's not static. It's it's ever evolving, always has been, always will be. And, you know, as I was listening to what you were saying just now, I think it reminded me that... Um, or, or at least brings to my mind the fact that I think maybe their, maybe their superpower, their combined superpower in what they do is that they throw all assumptions out the window. You know, you're talking about, you know, forced to go back to the office. And, you know, we did, I, I remember, and this is easy example, right? Because March of 2020, things are shutting down and people saying we can't do this, we can't do that because we're assuming that things have to be the way that they are. And obviously we learned that things did not have to be, they could not be the way that they, they had been. And as, as you were saying that, and I was thinking about it and, and relating back to the conversation with Trina and Alfonso, I think that's, I think that's it. I think they have zero assumptions. 
um, they're they're not hanging on to any baggage. Right. And she was saying she was saying that basically we're, we're projecting our culture on others, which would be the baggage, I guess. Right. So if you clear all that away and really think about what is the culture that you want to have in your company that's not based or your business that's not based on what we've always done and just looking at things as they are rather than just assuming we know how they're going to go, if that makes sense. She was she was saying that a lot of people think culture happens to them, that it's static, yeah. but she was she was saying that it's up to us to push where the edges are, which is one thing I liked that she said. Yeah, I think it's I think that's a really great way to put it. It, it people think culture happens to them. When we started talking about the fact that there's four generations in the workplace right now, from baby boomers to, to Gen Z, and Alfonso said that the the one commonality between all four generations is that we're all deeply offended by the other three. <laughs> I thought, okay, yeah, okay, <laughs> I see that. I think one of the things that is so surprising when we work with clients and we have a really um, robust architecture portfolio, which is super fun, is a lot of folks have been behaving for a long time as though culture is happening to them. Also talking about culture as though it's static, which it never has been. <laughs> so whenever Alfonso and I are talking about culture or anybody at Tina Mix, we sort of have a three-part definition, right? So we say culture is patterns, so the way we do things, uh, that we use to make meaning. A whole lot of patterns don't mean much until we decide what it means me together. And then where the edges are, so what's appropriate or inappropriate. And I think the pandemic, and it's something we talk about all the time, surfaced what was lurking under the surface for a long time. So it isn't even necessarily that workplaces needing to navigate caretaking is new. It just like couldn't be ignored, right? It wasn't even that different folks were given different responsibilities or having different amounts of trouble um, working in a different environment. It was like, yeah, all of this was pretty predictable, but we didn't know it was going to come in this exact package. All the solutions, all the effort, and and when they were talking about the personal responsibility that we each need to take on, a big part of, I, I think two big parts of that are, number one, advocating for yourself. You know, that's that's our personal responsibility, but also communication. Open communication, definitely. Candid, you know, be, being, I, I suppose, you know, we, we talk about transparent and we talk about, uh, you know, the, those buzzwords so much. But I think honest communication, hey, this is what I'm feeling. She, she, she talked about, Trina talked about, um, what was it, five points, I think. I want more of this, less of this. I want to stop this, start this, to do, do this differently. It's going to take honest, obviously, honest communication to address all five of those points. And I, I sat listening to her describe that, and I have thought, you know, in times where I have worked in a firm, larger, smaller, medium-sized, whatever, how willing was I to really be that honest in, in communicating? Not very. I think people want to, don't want to make trouble in their workplace by making demands that are just based on their own, what might be perceived as sensitivities or, or, you know, some kind of weaker thing. I mean, I don't know 
I haven't really worked in that many architectural firms, so it's mostly hearsay, but it seems like um, in our profession, there's been this way it's always been done. And like you talk about, about not um, you know, having to pay your dues like other people did. So if you mm-hmm. complain about things that might be seen as like, well, that's what everybody has to go through. So yeah. why don't you go find another job if you can't handle this? You know, so yeah. I think, I think, Hopefully the culture in architecture firms will be changing to not be that way. And maybe that's, we can thank the the Gen Z people for maybe. not putting up with that kind of treatment, you know, whereas we, we did. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's, that's a good point. I mean, and I mean, if we implement what they're talking about, if, if everybody's willing to do a little bit of what Alfonso and Trina are talking about, it's, it's going to take courage certainly. But if I, if I'm a leader in a firm, and there's somebody that that has the courage to say, hey, more of this, less of this, start this, stop this, change this, change the way we, we do this, then the personal responsibility that I have to take, I think, is meeting them there and, and appreciating where they're coming from and then working with them to find, find a way forward. Um, I, I, I figured the question about unionization would come up. Because as, as you're listening to this, if you're not aware, the first successful unionization effort uh, has taken place now uh, in, in an architecture firm. That's an important part of the context. And so it's, it's, uh, it's out there in front of us right now, and we'll certainly talk about it more. I wasn't prepared for the fact that, that Trina and Alfonso have experience in you know, in that space. So that, that surprised me a little bit. And I also, especially in the way that Alfonso prefaced it, you know, they're, they are, um, uh, they are both in favor of the concepts, right? That the things that unions are meant to be, and then to say that they're not sure that that's the right, the right thing for the, the quote unquote problems that we're trying to address. So I, that may take some people by or may have taken some people by surprise. It took me by surprise a little bit, but I also don't disagree with them. Um, I don't know, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know enough. I'm not educated enough about it yet to to form an intelligent opinion. But my my gut tells me that this is. I think it's good for bringing bringing some things to the forefront and and really, really kind of shouting them from the mountaintop. It's things that may have been unspoken although they're spoken a lot i think but mm-hmm. but really putting our foot down or whatever whatever version there is um but maybe this is this is a good tool for pushing the conversation forward yeah well he was saying or one of them was saying that we love to admire problems problem. you know it scratches an itch but that the problem remains and so um there are a lot of problems in our field generally with work hours with pay I don't know enough about unions either to have an opinion on that in particular, but I know those are problems. I'm not sure what the solution is. I think talking about leveraging this unionization effort to charge higher fees, that seems like a swing and a miss to me. Mm. Um, That seems like, hey, we've got a business management problem. If we don't feel like we are making enough money or charging enough fees, I, I... I don't know. I think I think that's missing. I think that reaction to it is missing the point. Yeah. Do you mean because we always could be charging more fees? Yeah, I do. Anyway, <laughs> without getting a union going. Yeah. 
Yeah, and hopefully if we charged more fees and we would pay the employees or the staff better than they're being paid. And, and and that's one of the things that Alfonso talked about. He he said that he, you know the unionization is usually a a res, uh, a response against the shareholders. I don't, that's not the way he said it. I'm I'm sure. And apologies to Alfonso because I'm sure I just completely butchered that. But it's it's protecting the employees against the interests of the shareholders. Which you know, if you're a shareholder that wants to maximize profit, what are you doing on the the employee side on the labor side, well, you're trying to squeeze as hard as you can to get as much out and and to, and to have as high a profit as possible. Is is that really what's going on here, or is what's going on here just this unreasonable expectation of of hours and devotion to the firm and to the profession and to all of these things, and also, you know, I, I guess if I saw a whole bunch of firm owners that were that were just becoming filthy rich and and not paying their employees, you know, squeezing the, you know, the very last drop of blood out of the turnip. I'd say, okay, yeah, maybe, maybe, but I, I think it's, I, I think it's different. I think it's the tradition of the, of the, the workplace and the profession. I think that's part of it. And I think the financial piece is, Hey, run the business better and charge more. I, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm I'm mistakenly uh, separating. You know, looking at those as two separate issues. Um, but you know, we'll we'll see how it how it plays out, and we'll have more conversations about it. Well, this has been pointed out thousands of times since the pandemic started. But it it it's amazing to me that all these things that we couldn't change because we couldn't change and they can't be changed. Like you can't go to school from home if you have some kind of reason that you have to, or we can't work from home. All of a sudden, when we had really had no choice, we figured out how to make it work. And to me, that is so um, everything. There are other answers to how we could do something. And we just refuse to see them, um, you know, especially in the workplace sort of situations. And I know I mentioned this yesterday to them also, but I was really fascinated by them pointing out going back to the office how on zoom let's say women and um, people of color don't have the same they're more on a neutral ground like with everybody else i guess that'd be with the white males but with everybody else because they don't need to go out into the world and be questioned for being there or be um you know conscious of their bodies or whatever else so i i hadn't even thought of that like i hadn't even though this is what I'm living now, this Zoom life versus in-person life, it, it, I mean, I really appreciate that they're pointing out what seems obvious, but is not. I don't know if we bring up the term implicit bias very much on context and clarity. And, you know, these, like I said, I mean, these, these are important conversations and we don't have these conversations enough. I don't think we can have these conversations enough, to be honest. I think, first of all, this, this isn't, you know, the, this, the show, this community isn't specifically about, you know, it's, there's, we cover a broader range than that. And there's somebody, there's, there are people out there that are focused specifically on some of these uh, very important topics. And this is what they do day in and day out. And, and they should, um, we're going to touch on these topics because they are important but there are lots of things that we cover, so we're we're never gonna we're never gonna talk about them enough. So we have to do as good a job as we can each time we we do. 
Um, and I think, you know, that the, the reality of implicit bias, and I think there are people that don't accept that idea that don't accept that implicit bias, but I'm sorry, you're wrong. I'm done. You know, it, we, we all have, you know, it came from, it came from my upbringing. It came from, it comes from movies, TV, all of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how I was raised and where I was raised and, and the color of my skin and my experience and, and all of those things that also don't allow me to share your experience or anybody else's. Mm -hmm. So we, we, we all have that. And if, if we can start from that point of going, okay. And and like you mentioned earlier, assumptions and all those things, like if I can start from a point that no one shares my experience and I don't share anybody else's experience, then to me, that's a better starting point because I, and I'll need to be reminded of this. I shouldn't assume that anybody knows what I know, think, think, thinks what I think has had an experience like mine, Mm -hmm. uh, relates to something in the same way that I do because their experience is different. You know, all of those things that, that, you know, going back to, to Trina and Alfonso and, and no, no assumptions and, you know, this, this honest communication, I think that's, I don't know what, what do you call it? Do you call it burning it down? Do you call it strip it down to the, the very essentials or basics or whatever, but I think we need to go there because it's, again, just to touch on the, the four generations in a workplace. You you said it before, you know, I paid my dues. I, I'm going to attempt to not go off on one of my rants, but the mm, two things that I hate the most, the two comments that I hate the most, I think they're the most dangerous in the profession. Mm-hmm. I think they're the most dangerous in our society is we do it this way because this is the way we've always done it. That's one of them. Really? Is that the way we should be doing it? Right? Who did who did that help or hurt along the way, and who does that help or hurt today? Uh, and then the other one, and Alfonso called this hazing, and he's a hundred percent right. I paid my dues, so this generation or you or they or whoever they need to pay their dues. That's ridiculous, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. that one that one infuriates me because my question is, you say it that way, but yet. I know at some point in your life, you have said, if you have kids, I know that you have said you want your kids to have a better life, a better, you know, whatever than you did. And you've turned that 180 degrees and you're, you're inflicting that on somebody else in your office, in the profession, yeah, you know, in, in academia, wherever. Mm-hmm. And we, we have to stop doing that. And, you know, maybe not, not to take us back to the unionization talk, but something you said a minute ago made me think about it this way. Maybe unionization is the catalyst that we need. You know, if, if COVID was the catalyst for a lot of the reassessment of priorities and rethinking the way we do things and what's important, et cetera, which would be priorities, Jeff, um, <laughs> maybe unionization, th- that effort is the catalyst for the change that needs to happen. And it's long, long, long overdue. So maybe, maybe that's the answer. It's just strange to me that abuses in the workplace, like somehow that's okay because we went through it. Whereas let's say sexual harassment or the way women have been treated or the way 
let's say I was just treated as a teenager in the 80s, like that wasn't okay. So to me, that's not okay. And I wouldn't say to my daughter, like, I had to put up with it, you have to put up with it. That's just character building. Like, that's ridiculous. And I, I think people don't see the abuses in the workplace as being the same as any other kind of abuse, but they actually are, you know? I think most of the time they don't even see it as abuse, honestly. I think they look at it and they go, well, yeah. I mean, why, why wouldn't you? Why, why is it abusive if I say, hey, you've got to spend the entire weekend working on this, you know, instead of spending time with your family, instead of sleeping, sleeping, you, you know, instead of taking care of yourself, you know, whatever, ha- having the other portion of your life, you know, do we live to work or work to live? Those kind of questions. I, I think, I genuinely think that there are, there are enough people that don't see that as abuse. They just see that as the way, it, the way it is. And I think that's problematic. Trina brought up the fact in, in our conversation that, you know, in the United States, we are famous. This is this is crazy to me, but I, I 100% believe that what she's saying is true. We're famous in the United States for working long, hard hours or, you know, however she said it. And at the same time, having very low productivity, you know, rel- especially relative to that. And, and, and I, it just boggles my mind and I'm raising, you can't see this as you're listening to it, but I'm raising my hand because I have worn this on my sleeve or on, on my lapel or whatever as a badge. I think a lot of people have, I know a lot of people have, Oh, I pulled an all nighter last night to work on this project. Why, why, why is that honorable? Bad time management. Exactly. Is, is that, is that something uh, to be proud of, or is that a failure in management? And the reality of the situation is it's a failure in management. There are always extenuating circumstances. I get it. You know, last minute change, whatever, whatever, whatever. But I would, if if you sat down and you did a calculation, I'm guessing that the majority of the time it's not an extenuating circumstance. You know, I've, I've talked about this before. There's a firm that I know very, very well that... Um, I still haven't checked on this, but I think I think they are now finally, and this is a legacy firm. I think they are out of business now, and the their what they said at the beginning of the pandemic is there is no way that we can do this. Meaning the what everybody else was going through, right, going remote and all of those things. There's no way that we can do this, and what they continued to say is that they we're not able to, you know, we're not able to do this. We can't do this. It wasn't that. It wasn't that at all. It was a refusal. They made a choice. I think that's that's the takeaway that I have from this is like all of our cultural aspects of our culture, they are choices, right? That yeah. we actually can just choose to keep or get rid of. What do we want more of? What do we want less of? Start or stop or do differently, you know? So the idea of everything not being chipped in stone, but that you can, as they were saying, you should revisit your culture every quarter, you know? And the thing is, we don't have to, I don't even know when it was, but it had to have been within the last two years. I thought, is this it? Is this my life? Is this what I want for the rest of my life? And I have a culture of basically me in this firm, but no, it's not the culture I want. So I can change it. But it's like a big revelation that moment when you realize like, oh, I I am choosing it. The culture is not just telling me what I can do, right? It's not happening to me. It's I can change it. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that's a great a great takeaway. 
that's a good way to tie it back because I know a lot of our, our audience and maybe as you're listening to this, you're saying the same things. Hey, I'm a sole practitioner. What does culture have to do with me? But it does, right? You, and, and you can revisit the way that you operate and the way that you treat yourself and the way that you work with your, your consultants and clients and, and other people that are in your ecosystem. But that idea of the culture is not fixed, that you can revisit it and that you have some personal responsibility um, and you need to take personal responsibility, whether it is just your own or you are an employee in, in a larger organization. Um, you know, there's the, um, if you go to the uh, website for the podcast behave, it says the podcast behave asks the question. So what are you going to do about that? And I think, you know, that's it. That's, that's the takeaway, whether we're talking about the hours or sexism or racism and hiring or in the, or in the workplace, you know, once someone gets to the workplace or, or, or any of these topics that we're talking about it, or, or we're talking about, um, what are you going to do about it? In my experience in your industry in particular, the bark is worse than the bite. When you ask it with authenticity, with genuine curiosity in a non-attacking manner, people are committed to, or think of themselves as committed to trying to create opportunity, trying to create access, trying to be someone who changes based on what's happening right now. So I think one of the things we have to do is remind ourselves that the story about someone or someplace being unwilling to change is likely a little bit bigger than it actually is. And then we have to say, well, have I asked today? Have I asked this week? Have I asked this month? And has someone already said no? So what we do is we go, the story's really big. The story's really scary. The story is it's mean and nasty and people aren't going to change. So I'm not even going to ask. So I've already told myself no. So one of the dynamics that I know happens in your industry is that sort of recognition and opportunity tend to happen in a social way, right? People get invited to different functions, there's award ceremonies, there's conferences, things like that. And a complaint that I've heard from women, from people of color, and from people who are more junior in the industry is a lack of invitation, right? And rather than just keep telling the story about a lack of invitation to participate, I could say, what if instead of inviting my best buddy, who I always bring to everything, this time, I'm going to bring someone I don't know as well? right? So instead of going like, geez, we got to change, we got to change. And like, nobody's going to change. I could stop behaving like the question has been asked and answered and start behaving like, well, somebody somewhere is going to say yes. So we um, will often say like, let's stop um, accepting the premise and start saying, no, it's going to be different. So I'm going to start moving in a particular direction. What are you going to do uh, I think that I think it's a great tagline. It gives us power because we can do something. It does. It gives you power and it demands power. Also demands courage and a lot of these other things. And I think, you know, as I said before, if you're on the other side of this, like if, if you, if you stumbled upon this, you've never heard <laughs> context and clarity before. You wonder what in the world we're ranting about. Um, maybe you may not see it the way that we're talking about it now, you know, as a leader, um, you know, I, I, 
what they're demanding and what we're talking about in this conversation is for you to also have the courage and take the responsibility to meet your employees or your people that you work with, the people that you manage, what whatever version you have of that, meet them where they are and work on this together and communicate together on this. So it's, it's challenging. I think what everything that they talked about, uh, they being Trina and Alfonso, everything that they talked about, I think is both empowering and challenging, but it gives it, to me, it, it gave me a lot of hope. Hey, there's, it's, it's hard, but there's a, there's a path here. Well, what did you think? Did you hear something in there that you can use in your practice today? If you were so inspired by this conversation that you'd like to watch the entire Context and Clarity Live episode, head on over to the Entree Architect YouTube channel. There's a playlist there that has all of the full Context and Clarity Live episodes. And if you want more of the Context and Clarity podcast delivered to you every week, give us a thumbs up and subscribe wherever you consume podcasts. If you like content like this, check out Gable Media. It's a multimedia network for people that care about the built environment, and it's the home of Context and Clarity. With Gable's growing family of podcasts and video channels, I know you'll find something there that interests you. You can learn more at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And one last thing before you go. If the topic of today's episode is of particular interest to you, join me over on Facebook today at 4 p.m. Eastern inside the Entree Architect Community Facebook group. That's where every weekday at 4 p.m. Eastern, I host Context and Clarity Conversations, and we take topics like this, and we dig deeper. We have a conversation in real time to try to find more clarity around the things that matter most to you. So thanks for listening. I hope our time together has inspired you to think about your community and your practice and how you can support those around you. We'll be back here again next week. And in the meantime, I hope you'll join me and the Entree Architect community on Facebook today at 4 p.m. Eastern so that we can help each other find more clarity around the topics that matter most, no matter what your context is. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this. I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so 
overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.